Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this television spotlight, I am joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on season three of The Librarians. And thus, probably seasons one and two will at least get acknowledged. And the three movies that spawn the whole thing. Good point. Uh, I'd spoil more if I knew more to spoil, but... Well, let's leave the door open. We can spoil anything we like. Can't leave the door open. It's broken. Anyways, (laughs) sorry, that's a reference to the finale we just watched. The show is on TNT. Yes. It lasts, it's got 10 episode seasons. And it's definitely an arc show. Somebody asked me when we were at about episode, I want to say seven or eight. Yeah, but are you liking the season? And I said, I won't know till the end. You know, it's funny because I think I could have told you even then that I think the arc for season three was not as strong as one or two. And you've got to understand the genesis of this show. It was done as a made-for-TV movie like 14 years ago, uh, starring Noah Wiley as The Librarian. Uh, It had Bob Newhart. It had Jane Curtin. It was good. It was a nice two-hour fun thing. Oh, let's go find the artifact or or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, they do another movie. A couple of years later, another movie. And it may have been just like a year or two between them. It's very much a knowledge is power. Absolutely. Um, Learn from your history type show. It, it's celebrating it, knowing of things and yes. turning that into usable knowledge. Yes. And there is an Indiana Jones aspect. There's a Indiana Jones fantasy MacGyver aspect to it. Um, the problem solving. It's on, you know, because it's short seasons. It's on basically every winter. Well, l- let me get back to the, the history mm-hmm. of this. You had the three and then about a decade, I think, goes by. And then uh, I think it was Dean Devlin is one of the guys behind it, John Rogers. The guys behind Leverage get the rights to this and go from we ought to do this to we're doing this. And my understanding is there was about a five-week period there where it essentially went from greenlit to to, to being produced. Oh, wow. And I mean just very rapid because there was also a window of opportunity because Noah Wiley was still doing Falling Skies on TNT. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this is why a lot of the writers, at least on that first season, were pulled from the people from Leverage that mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Matter of fact, uh, Christian Kane, one of the actors, because they were still casting, I think, even as they were starting to film. I would definitely say if you liked Leverage, check out Librarians. Absolutely. It's got it's, it's a different show. It's got a different uh, cadence, a different pacing to it, but it's got a similar sensibility well, and it's got some similar character dynamics. Absolutely. Two you, people that are kind of the mom and dad of the group and then the kind of the three kids or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I think they were originally getting a lot of notes e- either just inside the writer room or whatever first season of let's not break the story the same way we would do it for Leverage. In other words, it's a different show. Yes, definitely. But the first season had a very strong arc that really tied together nicely at the end. Mm-hmm. And when you realize they pretty much hit the ground running there. That's impressive. Yeah. Second season, okay, now, okay, we're going to have the the big bad for the season. Got it. This season, 
I didn't feel the big bad, while it was established early on, never really had a game plan. I didn't feel we had a single big bad we were up against. I felt our attention was divided. The releasing of all uh, the great evil or whatever. That was definitely what we were dealing with, but we were constantly distracted by Dosa. Dosa, I felt, was the equivalent of the Serpent Brotherhood or whatever it was from the first season or two. But the Serpent Brotherhood was... It was the big bad for that season. Yeah. Whereas here it was not. You know, DOSA, the Department of Statistical Anomalies, they're a competing government force trying to accomplish, allegedly, the same mission as our librarians. I don't feel they set up DOSA fairly well. I thought the acronym was lame. Mm. They could have had something a little more clever, a little more marketable. Yeah. Uh, Their mission statement, their backstory was never really clarified. They were needed to, to facilitate... The season finale. Yes. The big bad of... Uh, APEP? APEP. Um, was set up in the first episode, but again, to facilitate the arc. But he, too, was never really what's his backstory, what's his motivation, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of episodes that were a little more on arc and a few that were off arc, feeling-wise. I mean, the whole um, uh, Norse gods of evil or whatever. Uh, when they're trapped in the Arctic, yes. in the lodge. Yes. Fun episode, but you could have sat that out. It wasn't essential. It didn't tie into the rest. Yeah. Um, but there was one or two things around the episode seven or eight mark, maybe yeah, around eight, where uh, Cassandra, her tumor or whatever- Is magically suddenly back. Well, they haven't talked about it all season, then bam, it's a, a linchpin of the episode- She's got to deal with it now. But I thought it was cured, and that was her betrayal to them back in season one, I think it was, with, was it King Arthur's crown? It was going to be the betrayal. That's why she betrayed, but then she didn't use uh, Excalibur or whatever Mm. because she saved Flynn. Okay. So there was that. But she had a period where it would have been nice for her to have time elapse for her to recover from the surgery. Yes. The next episode, it's like two months later, and uh, Jacob Stone has been training at Shangri-La for two months. Yeah. So there was an opportunity there if they had tweaked the end of the one where it's like she's in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Leave it there. Don't have her go see the the vampire or whatever and say, oh, thanks. Uh, Have an episode in between focused on Ezekiel. Yeah. With her still in the hospital and set up... Uh, um, Jacob is having gone to Shangri-La for training with the Monkey King. Yeah. And you could have had a nice little episode there. Yeah. But that's not what they chose to do. And it made it feel a little off balance, a little awkward. It's like, well, wait a sec. You, you healed her. She, she gets through the surgery and, and boom, she's back in business and stuff the next day. Suddenly we're, we're inexplicably two months later. I mean, why not take advantage of that? Why not coordinate those scripts a little better? Yeah. You know, the one character that I feel among the three younger librarians that they've had the most consistency and development with is Ezekiel. I would agree, but I think he's also the least developed. He is cliche egomaniacal, and I would have felt that they had developed him more if the episode with the love potion had happened a little earlier in the season and we'd seen the TV reality star again. Yes. And it showed that maybe he's actually 
able to care for somebody other than himself. Mm -hmm. So there was opportunity for growth there that they didn't avail. I mean, the actor's good, but I think his best episode was probably last season with the time reset. I think the time reset was a fantastic episode for him. Uh, I thought the love potion episode, he did really well with that. It was good for him, but I think also the finale last season where we see the um, the future yes. 10-year experienced librarians was pretty good too for him. Yeah, but I also thought that the episode where he was babysitting Loch Ness Monster's egg was surprisingly good for him. Again, that was the one that had the uh, the lodge of the, the, the frost North. giants. Yeah. Um, I thought it was okay, but it was inexplicable why he was tracking the storm and a few things like that. He's tracking the storm because he cares about his friends. He may not want no, to show it. And I understood that. They, just, they didn't sell it well. They were trying to sell the he puts on the front of not caring and only being into himself and not necessarily being a team player. I think they could have done pretty much what they did and sold it better if we had started a few scenes looking at this weird weather radar on his phone and she's and us, Eve's yeah. claiming he's playing games or something. Showing us what was on the phone when she accused him of goofing off would have helped considerably. I also loved the episode in terms of for Flynn when they started with the intervention mm. and had him get the uh, Eye of Raw. Because he had to face truths about himself. It was a really good episode for him, absolutely. And Noah Wiley directed or wrote that one? I think he wrote that one. I think he wrote that one. I think he directed something else this season. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Frakes seems to have uh, stepped up his involvement. Yeah, he directed, I think, the second of the two, uh, the second two of the two, three movies and has been involved with this to varying degrees. I was actually surprised in one or two episodes that we didn't see him somewhere on camera, or at least I didn't. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Because he's usually, you know, playing the saxophone or trombone or something in the back, you know, just does a cameo, mm -hmm. which is a cool thing for him to do. Um, and I think would have easily fit here. Yeah. Uh, it would actually be funny to set him up as somebody who is lower ranking on the, the librarian totem pole. You've got Judson, you've got Jenkins, and then you've got Frakes. Yeah, yeah. And he's literally the, the thousand-year-old gopher, or the mailman for the library, and something. Yes, yeah. But it's it's one of those, they've got some really good people working uh, on the show, in front of the uh, cameras, behind the cameras, in the writing room. There's a definite spark to the writing. I thought the finale, they didn't really sell... Eve's betrayal that well it started out I mean we watched the first scene it cuts to the the title card and I'm like okay they're gonna flip back a, a day or two and they don't but it felt awkward for them not to have yeah and I hate that as a writing technique yes yes but it's like well she's she seems to be betraying them why is she betraying them there were aspects of her arc through the season that didn't play right that was one of them Mm -hmm. The scene with uh, on the train with her and the Dosa lead. Um, yeah. It's like the Dosa lead seems to be almost planting in you the idea that you're a sleeper agent, so you will become one. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, an episode or two later, you do. Yeah. Well, golly, that was easy. Yeah. But after having set up in some other ones, oh, she's not just a guardian. She's a special guardian. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, they can't write her out of the show. Yeah. I was fully expecting by the end of the season... Because of the way they had set up numerous things, the candle room particularly, yes. that uh, Flynn would be 
not alive at the end of the season. I half expected Flynn and Eve to basically end up inside the mirror or in a situation like Judson and- uh, That's exactly what I was expecting for Flynn. Yeah. And once we got to this episode, I was starting to wonder about Eve too. Yeah. And I just thought, okay, so are they going to be the ones trapped in or disconnected from the Annex with the library in a protective mode? We know they've got a fourth season coming up. Yes. And I was expecting Flynn to become the see the ghost apparition once or twice over the season because he's been fairly involved yes. in most of the episodes, not all of them, but most um, comes to not having that other show to be doing, I guess. Mm. But it was also getting to the point where Eve, I think, could have. And aside from the ooh, she's special as a guardian. Other than that, they could have and maybe should have written her out. And they're at a point where they could take the three other librarians kind of bump them up and then bring in one or two, you know, uh, uh, new acolytes or whatever you would call them. New guardians, honestly. I would say... I don't think you want to add more librarians at this point. I think you've got your hands full with the three you've got. I would be tempted to, if I were taking over the show, I could see getting rid of, of Flynn and Eve. Not that they have to, but they could. And what I would do in place of that is I would bring in a new guardian and a new librarian in training. To then put the three who had been the trainees into the training position and rotating who is training the one this time. I guess I'm seeing it as they have the opportunity to train the guardian instead of training up a new librarian. I would, the fun I would, I see is you would have, if, if you craft the new librarian well, you've got somebody who can learn certain things from each one, but that's not what they're teaching. Yeah. And is essentially teaching them to teach him. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's there's a, a a mentor mentee relationship that could be had distinct with the three of them that could be a lot of fun that works better with a librarian than with a guardian. Mm. And I would pick a guardian who the thing is I would almost be tempted to make one of them also a turncoat at the end of the season. Gotta have betrayal. Yeah. Actually, the the funnier thing to do would be to have it revealed at the end that the one that they thought was the librarian is the guardian, the one they thought was the guardian was the librarian. That would be funny. You know? Yeah. So there's stuff they could do, but it's it's something that I think they need to not... I mean, I like having the arc for the season, but I think they could also get it to where over the course of a season, instead of op operating as a single unit, hmm. Ezekiel should have his kind of side project that, you know, we get an episode or two to really progress, but it's working throughout behind the scenes. Likewise with Jacob and Cassandra. And get it to where it's almost like each one has two two-hour movies that are kind of intertwined across the ten episodes while they're doing one or two big missions as a team. Yeah. Because you could make it seem like there's a lot more kind of going on. But the trick is, how do you do that and still maintain a satisfying beginning, middle, and end of each episode that they've been doing a fairly good job with this season? I Well, and I think that was part of why I didn't know if I was liking this season or not, is I was enjoying the self-contained episodes, but I was at a loss for how I felt about the arc. And I didn't know, as a result, how I felt about the season. I think... The individual episodes were good, but I think the arc for the season was weak. 
and there were a couple of things that they had just some great things that I wish they'd set up better and had played out a little slower over the course. The Monkey King in particular. Yes. Introduce us to him early on. Then when when Jacob goes to train, oh, he's going to train with the Monkey King. Then have it come back and, and, you know, or whatever. But it was just, he's in the one episode. Yeah. And it's like, he was a fun character. He was. Yeah. You know? And that's one of the things I really enjoyed about the first season is when it all pulled together at the end with the Loom of Fate and all of that, uh, Jenkins kind of points out how things that have been going on all season facilitated that, led to that. Yeah. And they had the self-fulfilling prophecy one that kind of set up the library is looking after you. Yes. And I would have liked to have seen that. The library, aside from the one uh, compact mirror or whatever she got, never had the personality this season that it has in past seasons and movies. The library was looking after the guardian because the question was who guards the guardian. Right. But if you go back to the movies... Excalibur was training Flynn. The library was doing things. Yeah, I Even agree. go back to the first uh, season when Eve's uh, desk would get reset. Mm-hmm. The, the library as a character wasn't there this season. Yeah, I agree. Well, a few times I found myself coming, it feels very Warehouse 13. There was one episode where they were very clearly going after the artifact. And that felt incredibly Warehouse 13-ish. And I liked Warehouse 13. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it was a different show. Here, they're going and they're fixing magic. They're not collecting things. Mm -hmm. That may happen as a part of their adventure, but that is not the point of their adventure. Well, And they had an interesting point, I think it was about halfway through the season, where they recognized that having opened the ley lines, with magic being reintroduced into the world... It was no longer a matter of finding old magic resurfacing and wreaking havoc. New artifacts were getting created. Yeah. And that was a very interesting phase to kind of wrap your mind around, okay, so we don't just have to have knowledge of the past in terms of what existed a hundred years ago or more that may affect us. But we have to be thinking in terms of what is around us every day that might have been affected. Mm -hmm. I think they sold that concept better on Warehouse 13. Yes. Than here. And with the end of the season, it seemed like the ley lines were getting deactivated a bit. The ley lines were getting charged up by chaos. And sucked in by chaos, and when or the release of all the evil. But and when the it wrath went back into, um, but when they destroyed that, the ley lines were released from the chaos and the evil that had been charging them up, and returned to the state they were in. Okay, because we saw visuals of the ley lines puffing up, getting bluer, getting sucked down in towards the hole. And then the Eye of Raw gets brought out, and we're seeing the ley lines being released back. I guess my question is, at the end of this season, what is the state of magic versus how it had been essentially dormant at one point and then released into the world? I think the ley lines are as they were before Apep was freed. Okay, so we leave the season about the same point we came in. I guess that's okay. Ley line-wise. Ley line-wise. Well, I would say... Did anything massively change from the beginning and end of the season? The 
Cassandra had surgery. Cassandra has surgery, yes. And that really expanded the mental tablet ability. But that mental, um, almost minority reportish kind of thing. um, The mental tablet that is always facing us, so we can read it. Well, she's clearly dyslexic. (laughs) Yes. I really would love to see them play that up at some point. She's the it's most... so much easier to read backwards. Why don't you guys do this? <laughs> she's the most insanely dyslexic person ever. When they're showing, what what happens is she's got this effect that she throws her arms wide, and it's like she's she's gesturing at a computer and opening the desktop. And of course, she's looking at it from one angle. We're on the hundred and eighty degree side of that, and can read everything fine. <laughs> yes. Um, but she's also vowing really not to use that. But they also toss out the ability of her now, after the surgery, to take numerical sequences and kind of inject that into somebody. Mm-hmm. They use it twice and then drop it. Wait, I couldn't tell if she was injecting it into people, if it was more like a telepathy. I couldn't tell what they were trying for there. But to me, the injection is a form of telepathy. Mm-hmm. But I guess my point is, though, I didn't know if it was actual telepathy or if it was only the numbers and the math and i think she could implant the concept of the thought and you would feel that it just came to you not that you're hearing a voice at the end it appeared to be um jacob could give a person a soul or awaken their inner soul where she's giving the gift of thought yes again i see that as she's implanting a thought not she's communicating yeah, and that's what confused yeah, yeah. me. She's Well, the whole bit there at the end of, of the finale where I, I think I referred to it as we were watching it is kind of doing the whole, you know, Wizard of Oz sort yes. of a thing. If only I had a heart, if only I had a brain, you know, and if only there were one mortal in the room we didn't care about and thus could let die. I was actually disappointed by that because I don't think that's how they should have done it because it made Flynn... A murderer of sorts. I mean, I got that their effort or their goal was that guy made this mess. Well, they take Apep and they they take him from whatever Egyptian godlike thing he was and reconstitute him into a person inexplicably with the magic gifts that we hadn't seen before. He goes from immortal ghost like. um, He gets an inner soul from Jacob. Mm hmm. The gift of thought from uh, Cassandra and the love potion from Ezekiel. And somehow that makes him into a person. Mm-hmm. So now he's a mortal who can clean up his own mess, allegedly. Yeah. And gets eaten up by the eye of Ra. I don't know. It just cool visuals, but... But morally questionable on the part of the librarians. Yes. But I think everybody, really aside from Jenkins, had some more moral questionable aspects of the finale. You know, uh, Baird betraying the team, you know, things like that. And it, it, there are things that the characters do that kind of annoy me. There are decisions the writers made that kind of annoyed me. But it was a fun episode. It was a fun season. Yeah. When I kept asking you for probably the first 20 minutes out of the season finale, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? And that's where I think the writers kind of goofed a little. They didn't sell the concept of what was going on particularly well. Because they start out with the Guardian, who's the heart and soul of the team, seeming to inexplicably betray the team. And I didn't think they laid the breadcrumbs well on some of that. I think they could have taken the episodes 
almost verbatim as they were, maybe shuffle them around a little bit to space things out a little differently. Add one or two scenes. I mean, imagine if, and maybe I'm misremembering, but I think Eve's discussion with the head of Dosa happened after she and Flynn had had the, the weekend getaway. I'm trying to remember which episode the weekend getaway was in. It was after he found the Eye of Ra. Yes, but I think it was the one or two before. With the Monkey King? The Monkey King. Bottom line is I think they could have set some stuff up to where it's like the seed of her being betray betraying the team was planted a little bit earlier, giving them a little bit more time for her and Flynn to off screen, but uh, visibly off screen, have had time to discuss these things, set up the plan, whatever. Mm-hmm. Versus, oh yeah, we talked about it, we had this plan. I'm like, when did this happen? Well, it was interesting at the very end when uh, Eve is commenting to the three younger librarians of he told you to go get save jenkins that basically you guys were the keys to the failsafe our plan was you guys were the failsafe that's why you had to be outside you had to be safe you had to be away i like the intent there of trusting cassandra jacob and ezekiel to be their backup their failsafe the problem i have with that is the conversation she had with jenkins right outside the annex when he's being carted away and he says you broke their hearts and souls yeah this this is a line you can't uncross essentially yeah so it i get what they were trying to do the story while it didn't work for me was i mean i think they needed another pass on the writing i don't think it was bad but it was not as tight it wasn't it didn't sell me as well as loom of fate and some of the other finales they've done yeah it had some great visuals, it had some great character moments, a couple of great, ooh, I should have seen that coming, or that's clever, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the overall motivation of the characters and the plot, a little weak. Well, I think what I liked in uh, the Love Potion episode for Ezekiel was at the very end when Jacob was kind of confronting him. Yes. Oh, everybody thinks you weren't Ezekiel, you know, hit by the Love Potion because you only love yourself. And then Jacob's like, but, you know, Flynn and I have fairly big egos, too. Healthy. Healthy egos. Yeah. And he's like, that that wasn't it. Yeah. And he, and he pegs Ezekiel. You, are, you already loved her. Yeah. You already cared about her. And I thought that was a really, probably one of the best moments those two characters, those two actors have had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to see more moments like that. Well, it's moments like that that keep me coming back and just keep me kind of on the edge of my seat going, okay, where are you going to throw at me next? That I'm not quite expecting it makes me stop and go, oh, I kind of like that. There were quite a few moments like that scattered across the season, more so than I think in some past. We had the one scene with Cassandra after she's been diagnosed with Jenkins, with her essentially asking him out. Yeah. And he's like, no, can't do that. My heart is taken by another kind of a thing. But it was a very good moment mm-hmm. that paid off later when he finds out She's been diagnosed, and he's like, no, no, we're, we're going to get her help. But also, when we later get Jenkins and- um, Charlene. Charlene. Yeah. When Jane Curtin came back, and I, they could have gotten us- They could have used Jane Curtin a little better. She's a terrific actress, does a great job in this. Yeah. And just, they didn't give her a ton to work with. I did like her going into, into action at one point. I would have liked to have seen an actual fight scene. I loved when uh, she was with- Flynn, and I think she was with Jacob Flynn also. Flynn and Jacob. And they're basically recapping the situation. She's like, do you 
always recap what's going on. No wonder it takes you so long to get anything done. Yeah, she was great with that. I would have liked to have seen her go up against a couple of ninjas and just take them out. It's like, why was Judson saying this was always so hard or whatever? Because it would have been a nice callback to Judson's fight scene in the first movie. Yes. Which is Bob Newhart's first fight scene. Which still blows me away that he did it, among other things. What I also enjoyed was in the finale here, Flynn at one point is going to shut down the library again, and Charlene through the the, the magic mirror is like, okay, you know, need to hear you say this, that, and the other, whatever. And then after Flynn leaves, in the background of the mirror, in kind of walks, if you will, uh, uh, Judson, Bob Newhart. Yeah. Doesn't say anything. He's on screen for, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds, if that. Yeah. But- Nice to see Bob Newhart, mm-hmm. you know, willing to spend the time and, and whatnot and do that. Because with those two and uh, Noah Wiley as Flynn, we've got the original three from the movies. Yeah. And I like how while this is only three seasons in, it's also a show that's got a nearly 15-year history. Well, and they used, uh, without the text on it, one of the posters from one of the movies. Yes. they. I think that was the first one. Nice callback. Because that was kind of his uh, 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 portrait or whatever at one point in the library. Yeah. When he starts out as the librarian. Well, and they chose Spear of Destiny, which when you when you know what he's headed off to do. Yeah. And what he believes will be kind of the end of the day. There's some poetry there. Part of why I would like, potentially for next season, but they could do it a season or two later. It's, oh, this is long overdue. And we get like an office room for each of the librarians. Their picture is up there. Yeah. And then they realize they need the intern or whatever to coordinate, you know. Yeah. Something to show, to, to imply that they're now the leads of their own little adventure. They just like hanging out together or something. Yes. Yeah. I, I think there's things they could do that could take this from, to use comic book terms, the equivalent of, of the Justice League or the team book. To, in other words, you've got the band together, mm-hmm. but, you know, Batman has his own title, Superman has his own title, Wonder Woman has his own, you know, her own title, same with The Flash, etc., yet they still get together. You know, we watched another show tonight, also the separate series, but it had two characters that guest starred in it. Yes. And not even halfway through the episode, I'm looking at you saying, why aren't those two characters getting spun out to their own show? Well, it... it when you've got somebody who guest stars and it's like, I would follow that character to another show. Yes. From this season for librarians, it was Monkey King. Yes. It's like, that was great. Whereas, again, they could take, I'd like to see them, particularly if this goes five, six, seven seasons, to make it feel like in those later seasons, sure, they're all hanging out. They've got the big picture. They're coordinating. The library's the central thing. But even if we don't see Ezekiel this time, it's because we know he's off doing his own thing. But that's why I feel like they should bring in more Guardians. Is we're not out now told, but it's strongly implied the librarian singular is supposed to have a Guardian singular. Well, now that we've got more librarians. And that's fair. It feels like each, if they're going to go on their own, should have a Guardian. And I'd like to see Eve, who keeps saying, you know, I'm trying to get all of you prepared for this future I see for each of you. I think she should realize each of them needs a guardian. Yeah. No, I can see that. That would work. Um, It would just be a matter of finding the right ones. 
there, what character would be the right guardian for each? Each of them needs not just a balance, but a counterbalance. Yeah, you know, a definite counterbalance. Somebody who's all by the rules, etc. for Ezekiel. Somebody that is just a bit more grounded and pragmatic, maybe, for Cassandra. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure for uh, for Jacob. Uh, no romance in their heart or no romantic leanings in terms of poetry is a waste of time because he's their literature and understands the uh, all the aspects of poetry, if you will. I was actually thinking almost the opposite direction. For him, somebody has a potential love interest. Oh, I'm not saying not that, a love interest. That he is his muse. But somebody who is so practical in terms of writing should only be educational and informative. Writing for the beauty of words is a waste. I would almost go with him, a guardian that is his audience, that plays up that aspect of him. You'd Not never get anything done. Not in the flowery stuff, but the no, no, explain it to me. Give him the chance to show off, to show his intelligence. Very true. Which is what his character needs versus, I think, say, Ezekiel, who needs somebody to keep him on the straight and narrow. Uh, but finding that mix of... Adding three characters to the show, I think, would be a bit much. Yes. So if that's, you kept all the current. Even if you got rid of, of uh, uh, Flynn and Eve. I mean, it's a net increase of one character, but since they don't break the characters out into different adventures, you've got six now out in the field. Yeah. But if you do it to where there's a little bit more mix and match, this pair goes off, that pair goes off. Now, I know how I feel about this idea, but I'll ask you. How would you feel if we went into a season and suddenly that Dosa general was saying, I think a Dosa person should be paired up with each librarian as they go out. It depends what the, the big plan is for the Department of Statistical Anomalies. I don't think it added to the show. It gave the show a little bit too much of a Warehouse 13 vibe at times. To me, it was or a common, Men in Black kind of a... It gave it, for me, the Warehouse 13 vibe, but it also gave it the uh, most recent Superman film of we fear what we do not know and do not understand. Well, and science vibe. can conquer all. Yeah. Well, technology. Technology. Um, but so. definitely there's no place for magic and everything is explainable and confinable. I would, I like the show. I like the library being fairly minimalist. When you've got shows that imply you've got this mass network of, of operatives or people or assistants, it's one of the problems I think the S.H.I.E.L.D. show has had at times. Mm -hmm. It's a problem other shows have had. It's like this big organization, but we only see three people. Yeah. You know, but when you need to call out for help, it's suddenly magically there. You know, I, I prefer the librarians being left to their own devices versus uh, let's call in the backup squad. Let's get the army in here or whatever. One of the comments that amused me, I guess it was in the finale, was Jenkins, who invented the back door, which is kind of their closet door that magically takes them to any doorway he's dialed up. They're trying to sneak into the annex, and Ezekiel, their resident thief, mm. has found a physical back, back door. door into the annex. And I just loved Jenkins, who's been there for who knows how many centuries, going, I didn't know this place had a back door. Yeah. I felt they could have played that up a little bit more. They came walking in from the same place we always see them walking in from. I know, and but it's one of those things that it was a comment that you could miss. 
Yes. And it... If we'd seen them in a part of the library we weren't familiar with, it would have driven home they came in a different way. Even if they could have started outside and go, how are we going to get past all that? Well, that's easy. You know, here, follow me. And he goes in this thing and boom, they're right there. And Shankin the whole time is like, no, this isn't, you know what I mean? They yeah. could have, it would have taken another minute or two that they didn't necessarily have. I get it. But I guess part of it there is, is John Larroquette as Jenkins. He's an amazing actor. He's done, he got out in the field a lot this season. He did. He was one that I was expecting originally with the, the series to be the the wise old man at the base that we see at the beginning and end of the episode, and that's about it. They call to him for help, whatever. Here he's saving the day a couple of times. He's very talented actor. Uh, again, the scene with him and Charlene, there's some very touching moments, and he can really, he, he adds a lot to the show. He does, definitely. When he gets a message from Eve saying, don't come to where we are. Don't try to save us. And the first thing he does is go to where they are and try to save them. Well, the interaction with the kid. That was hilarious. Go away, kid. Kind of, it's not safe here. You know, things like that. Um, and the kid's pointing out things that Jenkins, with how many centuries behind him, hasn't noticed. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, he hits a computer problem, and it's like, kid, you know tech? Go go do this for me. How do I do this? Yes. It. It was fun. Uh, Larroquette has that kind of curmudgeonly aspect at times, but also that sincere kind of wise old man sort of a thing. And, I mean, he's been in Boston Legal. He had his own uh, John Larroquette show that I never really watched. Near die. Um, uh, but, of course, Night Court was where he started, I think. What were the uh, murder mystery oh, movies? Oh, the McBride mysteries. There you go. He Those. played a lawyer that uh, would go and solve crimes or whatever. Yeah. So he's had, and that's, I'm sure, just a drop in the bucket. He was on The Practice. He was on a few other things. Wildly talented actor. Mm. Um, and fills kind of the void left without having Newhart or uh, Jane Curtin there. Yeah. Because, um, again, Bob Newhart in the movies did a, a terrific job. Wait, it's entertaining to me the way he is the voice of reason without necessarily offering what you expect from the voice of reason, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. He's giving the characters some of the guidance they need by asking either the right questions or being the sounding board, sometimes being the uh, the lecturer, or the teacher, whatever sort of a thing. Um, the grandfather figure, if you will, which is the one sort of narrative role that they never had in Leverage. But he's there primarily to facilitate what they want to accomplish rather than to dictate how they should do it. Absolutely. And it's an amazing line he walks. Well, but I think this is why this show is, is fundamentally different than Leverage. Because with Leverage, you had the mastermind. That would be kind of Flynn. Yeah. You had the grifter. It, the mastermind was kind of the dad of the group. The grifter was kind of the mom of the group. So again, Flynn and Eve. Mm -hmm. The three quote-unquote kids. You had uh, the... Uh, the the thief, who I would say Cassandra is the equivalent of, the, the chaos monkey of the group. Okay. The the wacky, thinks outside of the box. I was going to say we have a thief, but I agree with what you're saying. Okay. I would have said the hacker mm -hmm. is the equivalent of Ezekiel. Yeah. Uh, which ironically means the muscle is the equivalent of Jacob, both of whom were played by Christian Kane. Yeah, well, you know. Which... It, it's funny, though, because his character here feels about 10 years younger than his character there. Yes. 
And his character here can hold his own in a bar fight, but he's not the definitive fighter that he was in Leverage. To the point Eve was teaching him how to punch better at Sarah. Then he goes, gets trained up by the Monkey King, and then swears off using the training. Yeah, well, you What know. was the point of all of that? He learned a lot from the Monkey King. I hope the Monkey King comes back next season. So I, I liked him. Uh, that was played by uh, Ernie Reyes Jr., I believe. Yeah. Who was in the original set of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies for one of them. And back in the 80s was kind of the uh, the, the teenage martial arts kid or one of. When, one of the things I appreciated most about the Monkey King episode was they don't give up on people. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Monkey King has been turned to the other side by magic, etc. But it's, no, Shangri-La is his. And it's not just that we're trying to make sure the bad guy doesn't get control of Shangri-La. We're going to make sure control remains. Goes back to where it should. Yeah. Well, what I liked about that was how they commented how Shangri-La had had some rough times. Yes. And that was how they were referencing Flynn having pretty much gotten it destroyed or whatever back in like the third movie, second or first, second or third movie. But there were quite a few callbacks to the movies this season, more so, so than in the past. I also loved um, Charlene's choice of hiding places from APEP. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of she hid where she thought no one would look for her. She got found. Yeah. Not by APEP, though. But. The callback to Shangri-La, the callback to Flynn having dated a vampire. Yes. You know, all the callbacks to the movie uh, series and stuff and the history and stuff that the, the show has had was part of why I was a little disappointed when we go most of the season without Cassandra's tumor being mentioned, then bam, it pops up full blown. They could have set that up. They've got a rich history here. Yeah. There are times that they pay homage to it and and treat it very well and respectfully with some humor and, and whatnot there are other times they just kind of drop the ball a little bit yeah again not massively so not catastrophically so but when they hit some of these highs but when and don't consistently do that i get a little frustrated when it's been so long since the brain tumor has been mentioned that we've kind of forgotten they referred to it as the brain grape mm -hmm. then yeah that ball's been dropped it just, it hadn't been reasserted this season. Yeah. If it, she'd gotten a headache or something like that. Something to not beat us over the head with it, but replant those seeds. Re-recover that ground. Yeah. You know, they had already commented about how the library could be cut off from reality a few times before we hit the finale where they threatened to do it. Yes. You know, so it's like, okay, they're playing fair. So they've, they've, like I said, they've got a really good writing staff. Yeah. It's just there are a couple of, of missed opportunities there. But by and large, I think it's a, it's a fun series. It's got, again, that uh, Tomb Raider, Treasure Hunter sort of a, a vibe to it. It's um, a fascinating mix to me of magic and science. Yeah. Well, and again, that's one of the things the Jenkins character brings to it is he's doing the science of magic. Yes. You know, known, predictable inputs outputs kind of a thing um it's a show that's got a lot of potential it usually like we've said has a good arc for the season i don't think this was as strong as the other two seasons but it was still a, a fun satisfying season mm -hmm. it just didn't re reach the heights and and 
tightness that like the first season or second season I think did. Um, and it's one that is, um, again, looking forward to a fourth season, uh, maybe in a fifth after that. Um, I always want more. I always want more. It's a fun, lighthearted, uplifting show. Mm-hmm. So if you're into that kind of a thing, and hopefully everybody is, uh, it's worth checking out. Um, we've done episodes on the other two seasons, plus an episode on the three movies. Um, I don't know if the movies are on like Netflix or something like that. It's worth checking them out. I agree. Well, and in terms of the show, I almost want to say watching it at the end of the season or watching it wherever it's streaming might be the better way to go in terms of because they do such an arc. I think marathoning it or watching it in a few bursts gives you the best value for your viewing. You get the most plot threads pulling together. Well, it's three seasons in, three movies in three seasons, but they're 10 episodes a season, so that's 30 hours, take out commercials, that gets you down closer to the 24, 25 hour mark, probably. Uh, no more than 27, I would think. Plus, uh, about two hours per movie, probably closer to 90 minutes. So, yeah, it may take you a, a little bit of time to go through, but it's something you can kind of marathon through. And it it's, again, lighthearted, fun, not, oh, geez, I've got to study every moment of this. Oh, I agree with that entirely. And I don't think it's particularly... Um, gory, I was going to say, I think it's pretty kid-friendly. I think it's definitely kid-friendly. It's also something that is, I think, a little easier to marathon than some other shows. Because there's some shows, uh, the Marvel Netflix stuff or a few others, where it's it's kind of deep, it's kind of heavy, it's kind of got some serious substance to it. Mm-hmm. Not to say this doesn't have substance, but it's a little lighter fare, it's a little more entertaining, a little bit more breezy. And therefore, it's not something where it's like, geez, we've watched enough. I need to step away for a little bit. Because there are other times where I'm reading a lot of comics or watching some other stuff where it's it's good, but I need to digest what I've had. Yeah. You know, this is something that I think if we had uh, felt the need or uh, had to do it, we could have started early on a, a, well, early for you on Saturday morning and finished it that day. Yeah. You know, without kind of getting the, oh, geez, I've had enough, let's take a break. No, I totally agree. It's lighthearted, and each episode is single serve, so they don't end on either a cliffhanger or a revelation. It's got the arc, but it's very episodic. Yeah. There's some shows that, while they have, uh, like the Netflix shows, the episode has a beginning, middle, and end or whatever, but it's telling one long story. Here they're telling 10 stories that build into a larger story. I forget what show we watched, but I remember bemoaning to you that the last quarter of it felt more like the beginning of the next episode than the end of that episode. So I always felt like I was almost getting conned into, and now I have to watch the next episode immediately. because I remember I'm- that. I'm trying to remember which show it was. It was if you had moved the credits about 10 minutes in one direction. Yeah. The episodes would have actually flowed a little better. Well, and they would have ended at a point where you would say, okay, I can go to sleep, wake up tomorrow, watch the rest. Versus every time an episode ended, it's, okay, start the next one. I need to find out the end of that sentence. It's like the first episode was a 40 minute out of 50 minutes. And they spend 10 minutes giving you the teaser and first act of the next. Yeah. Forget if that was one of the Marvel Netflix shows or not. I forget what it was, but I. But just... I know exactly what you're talking about here. You, 
you really could shuffle the order of some of these episodes. Now, obviously, the arc with those and a few things like that, not so much. But each episode has a beginning, middle, and end, and sometimes ends on a note of, ooh, you know, there's more to come, you know. And I think they did that a little more second season than this. Yeah. Second season, they tended to end on a little bit of a doom and gloom, but the war is coming. Mm. And here, they didn't really end on the major revelation or end on the, oh, this changes everything. They just gave a nice, good, solid closure to the the episode. Yeah. And you know it was part of a bigger thing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not like these have a, a... the end, we're done, we're going to start fresh next yeah. you know, Next episode. I, I really think balancing the episodic and the serial aspects of a TV show narrative is crucial. I think they do it surprisingly well. Because you need to have character growth across the season. you got to have a plot across the season. Don't have to, but it helps. Uh, because if you just have really good episodic, what pulls you to the next? Other than, well, I guess I want more. The characters. In a purely episodic show, if I don't care about the characters, I'm not going to come back. But if I care about the characters and I want to see, for instance, what trouble do they get into next week? Or how do they deal with the situation they're in next week? Because I'm so intrigued by those characters, I will come back. There is a show this season I'm watching that I think falls into that category for me. Where I like the characters, I want to see more with the characters, I want to see how they handle another situation. But it's not like I feel like their lives are necessarily progressing. Yeah. But it's it they they play nice together and I want to see more of that. Yeah. Um well, there are other shows though where it's like, oh, we got another nugget of information about this. Oh, their relationship changed a little. Oh, and the subplots are what kind of are that connective glue. Yeah. Another piece of the puzzle. Um in librarians, I would say Flynn had some character growth. Absolutely, particularly the one we talked about with the Eye of Ra. Um, but really, I think Eve stayed consistent. Almost backpedaled a little bit in my mind. I can I think see that. earlier on she was better about being the guardian and the mentor to the librarians than at the end. Well, and in terms of her relationship with Flynn, I mean, they love one another so much. They spent, what, 100 years frozen in a statue? Yet there was no reference to that this season, and it would have been a nice callback. Yeah. I mean, they're dating, don't get me wrong, but they're But they're if, bumpy. if when the other librarians realized they'd gotten a, a weekend getaway, it's like, geez, they've been together for hundreds of years. Yeah, they were frozen, though. Yeah. You know, a, a line or two of dialogue just to sprinkle in there. Yeah. Um, I think Ezekiel does continue to grow. I agree. He's not really a developed character in a lot of ways, but we see those moments of growth and maturing for him. That, I think, is what they need to do next season is we've seen him grow. Um, We've seen a few times where because it was a a time loop, he would backslide or whatever. But we need to, I think, in the next season, get a clear sense of just how much he has grown and how much of that he's hiding. I'd like to see an episode where basically each of them has the day off and we see what they do when they're away from each other. And not doing the library thing, because I think that's when we would see the truth of Ezekiel. You know, kind of who is Ezekiel Jones really? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one that would be a lot of fun, because I think we could see that being kind of the thief he is, he's a very private person, overly so. Mm-hmm. And just seeing who he, seeing that other side of him. Yeah. Where he doesn't feel he needs to put up a front or something like that. Uh, definitely could be a very good episode for, for him. I think Cassandra 
accepted herself more by the end of the season. I felt a lot of that was done in one particular episode, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think you take out the vampire episode where she has the surgery, all that stuff, She and most of her growth goes away. But it was still well, very much there. Most of that growth. Yes. The other thing that happened with her, though, was she was very much on the, we can responsibly use magic. Others probably can't, but we can. I would say the other thing that was a little bit of growth for her was the episode where Flynn was getting the eye of Ra, and she really, it's like, you don't listen. Yeah. You know? So- I think there were, for each character, two or three episodes that if you removed, the majority of their character growth goes away. Well, but what growth do you see for Jacob over the season? I agree Monkey King was a fantastic episode, but I'm not sure what growth I saw for him that carried out of that. I would have put that episode as, as his major growth in terms of responsibility, learning, and uh, fighting ability, whatever, sense of, of responsibility or whatever. Okay. I would say the other one, and I think it was character growth for most of the characters, was the Eye of Ra. I'd have to give it a little bit more thought as to what other episode was really it. Maybe, maybe the uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. But it's one of those that, with any ongoing show, the you, you can't have major character growth arcs every season for every character. I agree, but I just felt that Jacob really got the short end of the growth stick. I would go back to the uh, the scene he had with Ezekiel at the end of the uh, the love potion episode. Um, again, that was a good moment for those characters. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I would have to give it some thought as to if I were in charge, say, of a fourth season, what arcs would I like to see them go through? Yeah. And again, for Ezekiel pulling back the curtain and finding out who he really is. Mm-hmm. I know we've seen who he claims to be. We've seen what he's learned, but... We see the facade he shows his team. Yeah, and to me, it's almost literally kind of picture the Harry Potter invisibility cloak and somebody walking around to the behind it and seeing the real person behind it kind of a deal. Yeah. That's the metaphor I would go through with him. And I don't know who would be the character, probably Jacob, to, to, to get that pure behind the curtain. For the other characters, really, I, I don't know uh, what arc I would have them go through or why. It's I think there's a lot of potential, a lot of possibility, but I also like how they end the seasons reasonably clean. This time, definitely cleans. Other times, a little less so, maybe, where there's not the, oh, geez, they've got to deal with us and so when they start the next season. Yes. So he gives them time to, to sit back, retrench as a writing team, figure out where they want to go, why they want to go those directions. Mm-hmm. Um, I would appreciate it if they don't plant false leads because I really they I think we're setting up Flynn's death mm-hmm. six ways to Sunday and then didn't deliver. Yeah, and I'm uh, okay having him around again, but but I would have been more okay with that if I didn't feel that ethical quandary about how they kept him around. For me, even beyond the ethical quandary, it really makes me rethink all of the scenes throughout the season. Ooh, your candle's almost out. Oh, you're going to have to to sacrifice yourself. Oh, those start to ring hollow when it didn't deliver. I mean, they seemed to be trying to force Flynn to grow in a willingness to put his own life on the line, to recognize he's not invincible, to recognize he's not immortal. And to recognize that it's not just he might 
accidentally die in service of the library, or he might be murdered in service of the library, but he might have to sacrifice himself. That would be the arc I would do for Flynn next season. Early on, he does something. He gets seriously injured. He's wheelchair bound. No more bouncing around as he's pontificating. No more sprinting up the steps or even going down the steps. He's got to learn his limitations. Mm. And there would be ample time for good back and forth with him if Jenkins is this is what it is like to serve from from the rear guard you know kind of a deal yeah we, we stand back we secure the home fort we provide the support we let others the younger the you know whatever go out there and it would be a struggle for Flynn yeah he knows all the answers he's got to go do it he can't yeah that would be the the way I would do it and it would be a question of that would the first few episodes Goes out, has the adventure, second or third, he gets injured, oh, will he be okay, whatever. Goes for a little bit, and then the question is, at what point does he accept it, thrive with it, and then hide the fact that he could get up at the wheelchair at any point he wants? What if a big bad slices him with some poisoned weapon, and the others are spending the season trying to find the antidote to the poison? Mm, I wouldn't do that for the big arc for the season. It's too self-serving. True, true. It's this is the cost of, of being the librarian. You could get hurt. Yeah. And he becomes okay with it kind of a thing. And it would give him the ability to come to terms that he can't do everything, gets rid of the he's always running away kind of a, from the team or whatever, and gives the others a chance to step into the limelight even more than they already do. Yeah. And it gives a character arc for Eve for the season. I failed to protect him. Yes. But that goes back to my one guardian can't be everywhere. And that could be one of the things that changes over the course of the season. Yeah. So there are a lot of things you could do with the characters. I was going to say, it's a concept with so many possibilities. And that's part of why I love it. Mm -hmm. Even when I see the title of the episode, I still don't know what's coming this week. I will say the season was a little bit darker in more... I I mean, they've had magic throughout, but a little more supernaturally in a... Mm. uh, Almost, I don't say demonic point of view, but um, there's been a lot more fear in television and movies over the past few years. Going back to my reference to the Superman movie of we fear the alien because we don't understand him and we can't control him. And this was very much a we fear what we can't understand and control. Yeah. Especially from the Dosa side. I would, were I in charge of the next season, which clearly I will not be. Their loss. Uh, I would want to go with a little bit more hope and uplifting kind Mm -hmm. of, yes, there's some darkness, but we will overcome being the theme. I would be intrigued if they could either bring in a character or have one of the current characters explore the concept that this is a library that basically nobody can go into. It's almost the opposite of the public library. I would actually have that be the premise of an episode. Somebody comes in to check out a book because it's something that happens every day at the library except this one. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you? How did you get in? I would, I would, I don't know how the story would end, but I would start the season with that. That is the new character they introduce of, of the, the, the patron or whatever, you know. Well, instead of someone receiving an envelope from the library, that's basically a job invitation or a. It's your book is ready. A library card. Yes. I've got a card. I, I can come in. I, I want to do some research. Mm-hmm. Who are you? What are you doing here? Why? 
Yeah. And just, again, the flummoxed Jenkins aspect would be fun. It would be hilarious. Um, And it goes back to the other thing we said we were missing this season. The library becomes a character. Yeah. Why this person? What is the library trying to tell us? Well, and it would be fascinating if, you know, because we're always hearing and having allusions to the library moves rooms around the library has countless rooms we don't see if it turns out that the library has a reading room a reading room would be nice and it would also what i would do to replace the back door Mm -hmm. they can exit through any library oh that would be fascinating Mm -hmm. i like that it's punching the dewey decimal number or whatever for for that library or whatever it would be yeah play up the library aspect a little bit more yeah yeah. Because, I mean, how fun would it be? Oh, we've got to get to so-and-so. It's it's in, you know, Spokane or whatever. They come stumbling out of a room and everybody turns in the library. Shh. Yes. Yes. You know, just shushes them and stuff. It's, it, it, it would be fun. It would. Yeah. But, I mean, as we keep saying, it's a show with a good concept, a lot of fun possibilities. Each episode has good humor in mm-hmm. it. And each season stands well. It's a fun watch. It's a show well worth watching. And we'll, you know, we may knock a few things that they could have done even better. It's one that holds its own, is satisfying, and is fun to watch. Very talented group of people, like I said, both in front of and behind the camera on this. They know how to put together a television show. Uh, when they really deliver, it knocks our socks off. And when they don't, it's like, we know they can do better. Yeah. So it's not that they, there was no episode this season that was bad. Yeah. There were just a few that really clicked and a few, uh, they could have improved. Yeah. You know, but it was still, I would say, better than many other shows I'm watching. Yeah, I'll agree with that for myself. So hopefully people will check it out uh, and they'll enjoy it and stuff. Like I said, there's the three movies. This is the third season. There's plenty of it to watch, but not so much that it's too late to jump in. I agree with that. So with that, we done? I think so. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.